Welcome to this week's edition of the Cubs Corner presented by Cubs HQ. I'm Anthony Pasquale, and yesterday the Cubs lost a tough game against the Pirates 18-5. But in better news, Chris Bryan was named to his third career All-Star team and will join Javier Baez and Wilson Contreras in Cleveland for this year's All-Star game. And here to break down KB's season so far, we will welcome back Mike Bryant, Chris's dad, to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, it's good to be here, man. So how's everything been at the Bryant Baseball Academy? Uh, status quo, man. Busy. Gotcha. Always trying, to get, always trying to get kids hitting dingers before they turn 10 years old. <laughs> That's a pretty good slogan there. So your son is a three-time All-Star. How does that feel? Very satisfying. Uh, very proud of him. Um, yeah, it's been... Uh, it's been uh, you know, what a, what a great start to his career. And then the adversity sets in, nothing that he hasn't experienced before in his, in his baseball life. But, you know, he'll, he gets through it, and he's, uh, he's back up on a, on a nice trajectory right now. So you use the word satisfied, but in an interview, Chris said he wouldn't use the same word. And do you think that has to do with uh, the way you brought up last time, how you talked about you brought up Chris as a player that, almost thinks he can bat a thousand type of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Chris, Chris is never going to be satisfied. George Brett. I remember I used to work with George Brett's hitting instructor, Charlie Lau, um, back, you know, long, long 172 years ago or something like that. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, George Brett, he used to, you know, George was like a tireless worker. Chris has the same work ethic. And George used to say, he was never satisfied. Now, you know, there's a fine line there because at some point, you know, you, you, you know, it'll prevent you from, from having fun. And George has a, had a regret in his career that he just wished he had taken more time out to, to enjoy himself, you know, and had a little bit more balance. He was always trying to be the best he could be. Um, but, you know, he, in, in a way it kind of prevented him from, you know, having fun and being himself. I think Chris is going to get over that pretty quick. It's not that he's going to be satisfied. It's just that he's going to have balance. He's always going to, you know, he's always going to want one more hit. You know, he's always going to want to drive in another run, et cetera, et cetera. So Chris called this All-Star game the most special one because of the adversity he's faced and the injury coming back this season. Do you feel the same way, the most special one? Well, I think the most special one for me is when he, I get to pitch to him in the home run derby. <laughs> so I think that was his first one, right? Yeah, this rookie year. Um, so for me, that was the most special one. But for him, um, yeah, when you bounce back from an injury, um, I don't think people, I don't think fans are even, you know, unless you're, a, you know, you've played, realize how difficult it is, you know, to come back from an injury because, you know, I know from my past experience, you know, I expect, you know, coming back from an injury to pick up right where I left off. But what really is happening is you're taking, it's a major setback. You know, you're, everything, everything changes. You have to get back into the, into the mindset, number one. And the thing that's preventing you from doing that is the fact that it takes time to come back from an injury and you're not going to be yourself right away. So, so there's a lot of mental anguish and anxiety that comes from that. And, you know, it, 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 once you get past it, you know, and, you know, like I, I think it took, took Chris until, you know, the end of April really to get past it. And, um, 
you know, because coming off the injury last year, he really hadn't played a game since, since you know, where he felt really good since May of last year, you know, what, May 15th, somewhere around there when he got hurt. And, you know, it was almost a year. And, you know, where he really felt competitive. So the reason why it's probably more satisfying to him is that he was able to battle back, and it took him a year to do it. I don't think, I don't think anybody has a clue where, where that's concerned. All the, all the, I'm not going to be nice about this. All the moron fans out there that run their mouths on Twitter, they have no no idea whatsoever. And, you know, I'm not whining. I'm not apologizing. Look, my kid's mentally tough. He's battled back, and uh, he's here. He's ready to go, man. He's He's going to hit his 30 to 35 homers a year. He's going to hit close to 300, if not 300. And if he moved into a different spot in the batting order, instead of the two hole, he did his 100 RBIs. He'll hit between 75 and 90 rippies this year. And, you know, and he won't be satisfied because he wants 100. The only way that's going to happen is if he gets up more often with guys in scoring position. I know there's been a lot of of things said about that. it all evens out, man. He's going to hit his career average, and he's going to hit better. You know, with runners in scoring position, the more chances he gets. It's just the way it is. And so that, that that's my view on things. And, and I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now as you speak. I mean, he's you know with the bases loaded, he's he's hitting three thirty three. I know last night he popped up with the bases loaded, but he's hitting three thirty three with the bases loaded, and he's got a grand slam. Booyah! <laughs> You know, I mean, people got to chill out. Yeah, I said the same thing yesterday. I know a lot of people have been getting on him for um, batting average with runners in scoring position, but with runners on, he's batting over 300, I'm pretty sure. It's just, yeah, for some reason. People think you can just step it up into another realm and all of a sudden, you know, you know, you're just always this guy that, you know, gets a hit with a runner in scoring position. And that's, that's, you know, if it were that easy, everybody would be doing it. Okay. These guys are the best players in the solar system and they can't do it. And then you got guys like Jose Iglesias, who's hitting 411 with guys in scoring position, but do you really want him on your team? I mean, he's a good player, but is he the first guy you go after? No, he isn't. No, you know, we just, man, these people, they're, they're, they're whacked. Uh, you know, I don't know. They're demented. You know, I don't, are they looking for clicks on their Twitter Twitter account so that they actually get somebody to talk to? I don't know. It drives me nuts. But it's a good thing Chris doesn't read it because, you know, he's not going to go down that Alice in Wonder, Wonderland rabbit hole, you know, of Twitter. And I think he, he worded that, you know, exactly the way it was. So, yeah, we just got to be patient, man. Yeah, you know, I understand the frustration. We won the world championship in 2016, and, and it was 108 years, and they now their expectations are off the charts. And, you know, you, you just got to play this game, man. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say luck, but, you know, right place, right time stuff going on. You know, who would have thought Pete Alonso would have stepped into the league and hit 29 home runs or whatever before the All-Star break as a rookie? You know, you don't know how they are Yelich and, and Bellinger going off like they did. Oh, are they, they going to hit 75 home runs and beat Barry Bonds' you know, home run record? Probably not. You know, but did they start out good? Yeah. Okay, but, you know, the game is the game. And, and when it's your turn, it's going to be your turn. And guys don't do it day in and day out. Not even Mike Trout. 
does not do it day in and day. And I'm talking about the league above the big leagues. Okay. You know, Hank Aaron was about as consistent as you could be hitting 35 to 40 home runs a year for his entire career. Okay. But, you know, Babe Ruth hit what? You know, 60, 59, 52, Mickey Mantle, 56, 54. You know, day in and day out. That Those days are gone, man. Those days are gone. You're not going to see that year in and year out from anybody. Not even Mike Trout, even though he's a great player. Probably the best player in the game right now. But right now, he's not the best player in the game. Right now, it's Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger and maybe even Josh Bell. You know? So, you know, trying to put things in perspective. You know, if you... If you're a player and you're paying attention to that stuff, all you're doing is serves as motivation to do well. It's not an end-all, be-all benchmark guideline that you have to live by. That, that guys like Josh Bell are having great years and I have to have a better year than him. That's not it. It's not it. These guys are nameless. They're faceless opponents. And you go out there and you do your best. And sometimes your best ain't good enough. It's the way it is, man. So, you know, Chris's year, I'm looking at him. He's hitting like 290. He's 16 and he's got 42 ribbies. You know, he's projecting out to hit 30 to 35 home runs. He's going to hit close to 300. And he's going to have 80, 80 to 90 ribbies. That's not a bad year. And if you stack that up against other two hole hitters across the big leagues, I'm sure that's near the top of the list. It's got to be. It, okay, it's got to be. I mean, you know. I, I, you know, look, I'm not, look, I'm a human and okay. And I, and I, and when I read this crap, yeah, you know, if, if their intention when they write this trap is to make it crap is to make it sting, it's not stinging my son, it's stinging me. And I look at it and say, yeah, you know what? You can hit a thousand and you're not going to satisfy these morons. So that's why you turn off the Twitter account, say, see you later. I don't, you know, I don't even. You know, I might check in on it once in a while after he has a bad game, and then I'll go compare it when he has a good game. There's about 957 responses when he has a bad game, and there's two when he has a good game. People thrive on negativity. That stuff can be infectious, and it can destroy a player. It can destroy a team. It can run him out of the game. You know, if he pays attention to it. Dwight Emmons was my was a guy I worked out with back when I was with the Red Sox. I was in the minor leagues and. He kind of mentored me a little bit in the offseason. And he said, hey, man, when you make it, even though I didn't, he says, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Don't read the newspapers. Well, that's what it was back then, newspapers. He goes, be respectful to the, to the beat writers. And he says, but don't read what they write. You don't want to know what they write. They got a job to do. Let them do their job. You got a job to do. You do your job. And at the end of the day, when your career is over, hey, man, I played. 12, 15, 20 years in the major leagues. That's what I did in my life. What did you do? You know? Oh, yeah. Right, exactly. And I think you bring up a good point with uh, going back to the whole runners and scoring position thing. I actually looked at the numbers a couple days ago and wrote an article about it. Rizzo has had over 10 more at-bats than Bryant in those situations, and Javi has had more than 20 at-bats than Chris in those situations. So obviously – their numbers are going to be a little bit better because they've come up in those situations more. And more Absolutely. often than not, Chris is the guy on base for those guys. Yeah, and Arenado, too. You know, he's last year he had 48, I think 58 more at-bats than Chris did with runners in scoring position, you know, you know, last year. And then it's been consistently that. Every year it's been between 30 and 50. You know, 
Marinado hits in the three hole, you know, Chris hits in the two hole, you know, to me, you know, it's great being an armchair manager. We're all armchair managers. So I would do this if I were the manager. I would do this if I were king. You know, um, when you're when you're out there making the actual decisions under pressure, you know, and in real time, it, it's different. You know, you think a little bit differently. You know, if we got a cool hand Luke running the show with with Matt, and nobody, not everybody agrees with what he does, but you know, he's he's really trying to put the best team on the field. I think, you know, and he's he's also incredibly loyal and he's a player's manager. You know, he sticks with his guys, you know, no matter what. Under, you know, he stuck with Jason Haywood for more than half the season in the two-hole. And he finally moved him when he, just to take the pressure off the dude, you know, and was that 2018 or 2000, and when was it, 2017? I think that yeah, was 16. 16, okay. And then, you know, in Schwartz, you know, he puts him in the lead. He stuck with him in 17, and he's sticking with him again. And and for whatever reason, maybe he likes the power more than the on-base. But, you know, Chris hasn't hit well behind Schwarber. It's, it's a lot of pressure on Chris when he hits behind Schwarber. You know, he, he doesn't get on base enough. You know, it's not like Dexter Fowler, you know. Um, it, it just changes the dynamic. And Chris makes sacrifices for the team like that. You know, what would be best for Chris Bryant? To hit in the three-hole. Sure. But but that now limits Madden as to what he can do for the team. And, you know, there's a lot of players on this team that I'm sure are probably very understanding and grateful to Chris's willingness to play left, right, third, first, you know, because it allows them to get Madden to, Madden to get them there at bats, too. You know, guys like David Bowie. If Chris just said, hey, look, I'm, you know, Joe, I can't, I can't move around. I got to play third, and you know, I, I'm sorry, I've, I've tried. I, you know, it's just whatever it's affecting me. I, I feel more comfortable, whatever. Well, that would be one less position for David Bodie to play now, okay? Because now he's going to have to make a decision, okay? You want, you want an MVP, you know, World Series champ, Rookie of the Year, you know, guy at third base, or do you want David Bodie to play third base? It's not a knock on him. It's you make your decision. They're major league players. They're men. They can handle the decision. If that means Chris gets traded, whatever, okay, get over it, you know. But that's not going to happen because because Chris is Chris and, and he's proven himself. So by Chris being unselfish, it's been you know very helpful to the team. But it, it has also hurt him in some cases. I mean, there's no doubt, you yeah, know. You, so you bring up one a of the good Cubs point there. Well, the Cubs are going to make their decision someday, possibly soon, because the lack of, you know, the way they've been playing right now it forces management and, and Madden to make decisions. They don't like to make these decisions. You know, people, you know, their plans change, you know, and but they're men, they're Major League Baseball players. They can handle it. You just be straight up with them, you know, and someday you're not going to be able to play the game. You know, the best you can hope for in this game is go out on your own terms. You know, and that means you play 15 years, 20 years and retire on your own terms. And that doesn't always happen. That happens to very few people. And so my great hope is that, you know, I think Chris has probably earned the right to be able at some point in his career to go out on his own terms. That's still story still being written. That chapter still being written. But, you know, I think he's heading down that road. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, like Rizzo, like. You know, you know, now Baez is coming, finally developing into his own. It took him a while, you know, and, and 
they got the core right there. They got a great core. Bias, Contreras, Rizzo, and Chris. I don't think they mess with that. You know, they're all under, you know, Rizzo's just turning 30. They're all under 30. I mean, you got to keep that, you got you to figure that part out right there. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you bring up a really good point about Chris hitting after Schwarber is that if Chris is constantly coming up with one outs, two outs, he's not going to try to hit the home run. He's going to try to set the table for Rizzo and Baez. And that's why his on-base percentage has been so good. Yeah, he's been pretty consistent in getting on base. And, and um, you know, I think that's probably what drives Madden's decisions. He makes decisions around that and tries to set the other people up, you know, that are going to, you know, that are going to get the hits, you know, the, that are going to drive him in. He's, I mean, he's fourth in the major leagues, I think, in runs scored. or He's moving up. He's, you know, get on base and score runs. Okay, that's what you do. That's what the game is. Get on base and score runs. He does that really well. And they want to harp on the on the RBI stat. You know, that's another plus. You want to score 100 and drive in 100. You want to be Albert Pujols. But you got to hit in three-hole to do that. I don't know. You, look, I'm, my gut's talking here. Find me a couple two-hitters. There's your challenge, people who are listening. Find me a two-hitter that drives in 100 runs and scores 100 runs. Actually, forget about finding me one. You find me five. Okay, because I'm not going to listen to you unless you find me five. <laughs> okay, so find me five number two hitters in the major leagues out of the 30 teams that score 100 runs and drive in 100 runs. Okay, and I'll buy you a Starbucks and you can bring your own Irish whiskey to dump in it, okay? So there you have it, listeners. Your challenge, <clears throat> your challenge from Mike Bryant is to find five number two hitters who score 100 runs and drive 100 runs every season. So my next question is a pretty simple one. Are you planning on going to the All Star Game this year? No, uh, I, this is it. Didn't work. I got so much going on, man. I got some camps I'm running. Um, I get I, I get uh, there's just too much uh, stuff that I'm doing in July that takes me out of out of the cage, and I get to, I get to spend the time in the cage. So I'll have the game on. Yeah, this will be the first. This will be the first one I didn't go to. Um, but that's fine, you know. Um, there'll be another one. I won't pitch to him again in the All Star game. Um, <laughs> arms toast, man. I can't even lift it for crying out loud. It's, you know, it, it was a chore for me in, in fifteen to do it, but I got through it. So you mentioned this a little bit already, but Chris, <clears throat> Chris is a third baseman most of the time, but has moved around to left, right, even first this year. Do you think he'd be better off staying put? Or do you think the heck is it moving around wherever you can because other guys have to get at bats? Okay, if I were king, if I, you know, and I'm not trying to be selfish here, but I put him at third base and leave him there. Okay, that's what I would do. But you know, the, the there's a different philosophy out there now in the game, and you know we have to respect that. And uh, some teams you know, don't do it. And some teams do do it, you know? So Colorado doesn't move Arenado around. They keep him in the spot. He's got continuity. You think there's some, do you think there's some correlation between how consistent he's been as a result of the Colorado's Rockies decision to keep him at third and bat him third every game, day in and day out for the last six, seven, eight years? Well, yeah, I think, I think, I think so. just, 
I think there's a direct correlation between that. Okay, so so again, you know, you know, it's not that Nolan Arenado is a team player. He's a team player, and he's a team player, and he fits in with what the Rockies are trying to do. The Cubs don't want to do that, and I'm saying, yeah, it does probably affect, you know, a player's performance moving around. Okay, I guess you call him a super utility player, and you call Ben Zobers a utility player. Now, Ben Zobers, we miss him. He's a good player. He gets the job done. Um, but he's a utility player. Chris is all of a sudden, you know, Chris is a, you know, he's a middle-of-the-order masher. You know, he's going to hit you the 30 home runs a year. By the way, 30 is the new 40, by the way. Just so everybody knows. Just like 40 became the new 50, you know, a few years ago. And so when somebody hits 50, it's an accomplishment. But so I think, so I think that you know Chris is you know he's a consummate team player. He's going to do what the team wants, and and he's going to you know he's going to make the best out of it. So uh, and he's okay with it. I mean he's totally fine with it. He, you know he likes moving around. I mean the other the other game nobody noticed this the other day. The other day except Doug, Doug Glanville. Chris played three different positions and made three different web gem type plays. Played left field. He made a slide and grab into the wall and fouled just barely in foul ground uh, at Wrigley the other day. Made a backhand stab going away from second base and turned a 5-4-3 double play. Shifted over to the second base position in the shift. Made a backhand and, you know, under, you know, moving towards the bag. Backhand flip, transferred to the hand, turned a basically a 4-6-3 double play uh, from that position. All difficult plays, all quality plays. Yeah, people are quick to point out the fact that sometimes he doesn't make the best throws from left field, but not a lot of people realize how consistent he's been in pretty much any spot you put him in. Dude, let me tell you, I was an outfielder, okay? The arm slot is the key, okay, to being accurate from the outfield. Chris has a three-quarter arm slot, and it's going to tail, and he has to play the tail. And when he's throwing from the outfield, when you're coming over the top of it, like Elmora, you know, like Hayward, you can be very accurate where you're throwing the ball. Okay. Chris is an infielder playing the outfield. He's not an outfielder playing the infield. And the, the one chance that he gets in, you know, to throw a guy out one or two, he drew a guy out from left on a guy trying to tag, going from first to second, nailed him. I can't remember what game that was, but I, I remember the play. Um, but you know, you just this is that's another disappearing art. You know, outfield assists. You know, guys like Sixto Lescano and Dave Parker and Vladimir Guerrero Sr. They used to throw out sixteen guys a year. Dwight Evans. You know, Carl Yastrzemski. How many guys got sixteen assists from the outfield? This is another challenge. Find me five in the major leagues. Find me five guys that got sixteen assists from the outfield, please. And look, if you're trying to make me eat crow, look, it tastes like chicken. It's no big deal, okay? So <laughs> just I'm just pulling stuff out of my head. They're gut feelings. I'm probably right because I'm right most of the time. <laughs> you know, the only time I was wrong is when I thought I was wrong. I'm kidding. I'm joking, people. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it, the second challenge. Find five guys who had 16 outfield assists or more a season ago. And just moving on, since the last time we've talked, it was right after Chris had that three-homer game in Washington. 
Since then, he's hit five homers and driven in 11 runs to bring his total to 16 and 42, respectively. His batting average has risen from 270 to 289. So we've seen a bit of a dip in power, but a huge spike in his average. As a guy who watches and is around hitting all the time, what do you think is the biggest reason behind this? Of his average going up? Average going up and the power going down a bit. Um, well, I think it's directly related <clears throat> to the way they're pitching him. And then that's not an excuse, okay? Chris will never say that, okay? He will never say it because he doesn't make excuses. Now, I've looked at his pitch, hit the, the, the pitch terms, the way they pitch to him. Ted Williams has a book. I have his book. I've had it for years, since I was 14 years old. And on the front, you got the strike zone. And it has, it has his bat average for all 77 spots in the strike zone. Down and away, it's like 226. Okay? Middle in, he gets, you know, 390. You know, it, we, they have all that information on all the players in the big leagues. Okay, they're going to throw to that to that square. Those nine squares that they set up in the strike zone, where they have the lowest batting average and they do the least amount of damage power wise. Up and in, down and away. That's your typical spot you pitch power hitters. Up and in and down and away. They do the least amount of damage in those spots. They're hitting those spots. They're hitting him, and Chris doesn't swing at him early in the count because can't do any damage. But he's waiting for a pitch that he can do some damage with three out of ten times. They're hitting their spots with an uncanny consistency. Now, I'm not making excuses, man. It's just fact. So, okay, I'll work with him in the offseason, and I'll – Help him hit up and in and down and away pitches out of the park. I'll do the best I can, okay, to try to help him hit those pitches out of the park. But they are what they are. Everybody knows this This in their game plan. So his power's down, and it's not really down, okay? He's one week away from having the most homers on the team. Yeah. Maybe 10 days, okay? And because he's certainly capable of doing that. He's hit three in one game this year already. And... So, you know, having said that, is he getting mistakes? Yeah. Is he not hitting them? Well, yeah. Um, probably because he's just not seeing enough of them. And you got to do the best with what you got. And it, look, it's frustrating. Everybody, you know, a guy that's hit for power all his life wants to continue to hit for power. Personally, I think it's remarkable where his numbers are considering the way he's been pitched. He's... You know, you go back to Barry Bonds and how that guy walked 225 times in one year but still hit 73 home runs. How good is he? Steroids or no steroids? I mean, come on, man. He hit a home run. When they made a mistake, he hit it out of the park like 80% of the time. So, is Chris, yeah, he's not going to hit home runs that at that pace. So that's why he's a little off, um, probably on his home runs. But, you know, hey, what, what kind of hitter, you know, what kind of hitter do you really want to be as a, as a big – I'd like to hit 300 with 40 home runs, okay? But if, you know, Wade Boggs used to say, you know, you know I'm hitting 352, you know, and with eight home runs. You, you know, I'd have to sacrifice, you know, some average to hit for power. So he did it one year. I think he had 24 homers and he hit – you know, 320 or 318. He didn't like it. So he went back the next year and he got his 200 plus hits and, 
and you know, and he, and he hit his three forty, three fifty. So you know, Ted Williams was both. His career average three forty seven. You know, and he hit forty homers a year. And, and you know, Pujols was kind of like was like that too. You know, again, count how many guys are like that. You know, that are active in today's game or recently. You know, you're gonna be you're not gonna find any. Manny Ramirez and Pujols are probably the two closest ones. So. You know, we have to we just have to keep things in perspective. So he his average is up, it's going up. He's you know, he could be a three hundred hitter this year with twenty five home runs. Is there something bad about that? No. You just you do what you do, your numbers fall where they fall. You, and and at the end of the year you look up and say, Hey man, that was a pretty good year. You know? Mm-hmm. And and it might be good enough to be MVP. You never know. Hey, guess what? Jason Hayward <clears throat> last year in 2018 had seven outfield assists. Seven. He's a gold glover. <laughs> this one's going to be a challenge. Yeah, so you guys are going to have to dig, really dig on the internet here. And Mike, you mentioned that your perfect scenario for Chris would be batting third, playing third, pretty much on a regular basis. But what do you like from him so far this season, batting second the majority of the time and bouncing around? What do you? What have you been liking from Chris at the plate this year? Um, he's he's way more disciplined than he's been in the past. He's not chasing nearly as much. Um, strikeout percentage is way down. His hard hit percentage is coming up to his career average. He was even above it at one point this year. Um, the the ebb and the flow of the game for him has has been uh, you know month to month and. When he is a bad month, you know, if June was a bad month with three home runs, I think he hit 300, you know, in the month of June. Um, so, you know, I like the fact that, that he's, he's developed, he's, he's, he's getting, you know, he's got more hits. He's getting more hits. He's on pace to have the most hits he's ever had in his career. And so, the least amount of strikeouts, I believe. Yeah, in the least amount of strikeouts. And he's doing this very quietly. But, you know, that's part of the course for Chris, okay? I was telling you, man, the way he grew up, he was always under the radar. You know, as a high school kid on the showcase circuit. But this is this will sum it up, okay? And then I'm stage of all of again for me. Quote Yogi. Um, they were when Chris was being scouted through high school and college, everyone was looking at what he couldn't do as opposed as opposed to what he could do. Okay? And what he's done. They were always focused on, but everybody else was held to a higher standard. Oh, I remember, remember them talking about all the prospects. I could show you the scouting reports Baseball America wrote up. You'd read you'd read the top 50 scouting reports. 49 of them would be this guy's got power to all fields. He barrels up balls with wood. Um, the sound off his bat is, is you know, just, just incredible. And then, you know, 49 of them like that. And you get to Chris and he goes... Uh, while the power may show up only in BP or when he has an aluminum bat in his hand, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it just infuriate me, you know. And, and this is like, you, you know, calling him a 5 o'clock hitter, basically. And I was like, holy, just, if anybody doesn't know what a 5 o'clock hitter is, they, 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 what it is is they hit in BP, but they don't hit in the games, you know. So that's that's the type of standard that he was held to. And... I'm seeing it again. They're holding it. They're holding him to a, 
you know, almost impossible standard. I remember, you know, uh, playing with and watching Jim Rice hit. You know, this guy hit into like, I think he hit into like 32 double plays one year. Um, and because he hits the ball so hard, you know, right at the guy in the infield. He'd be a one hopper, you know. I'm not saying he's hitting 115 mile an hour ground balls, okay? He'd hit, you know, 88, 90 mile an hour you know, ground balls and he'd ground into double plays all the time. And, you know, I'd be, you know, as a fan, I was a big fan of him growing up watching him in high school back in the, you know, mid-70s when his MVP year. And I was like, I was expecting him to hit a home run every time he came to the plate. Jim, I'd say, oh, Rice is up. He's going to go deep. And that's kind of the way, you know, I've gotten over it with Chris because it's unrealistic, you know. Like I did get over it with Rice and started to appreciate, you know, that 46 doubles and 46 home runs was pretty good, you know, <laughs> back in the day. And so now it's, you know, 35-35. That's the new that's the new 45-45. You know, the 40-40 guy, 40 doubles, 40 homers. So now it's 35-35. Um, so, yeah, that's all in all, I'm, I'm pleased. I know Chris isn't. He gets very frustrated. And he, you know, he wants to perform at, you know, those levels of the old school dudes. But man, it, I just don't see it. I don't, it's not realistic anymore. You know, they should move the mound back. <laughs> yeah, and there and there have been breakdowns that show, aside from pretty much home runs and RBIs, Chris is pretty much on pace to set his career high in pretty much every other stat: hits, doubles could be batting average on base percentage and slugging. Um, I think he's really just been flying under the radar this season. Totally. They just, it's just the way it is, man. It's fine. I mean, you know, he probably prefers it that way. Tell you the truth, you know, Um, you know, underneath it all, you know, and when he does well, he likes to be recognized and rewarded for it. Like any human being, you know, and you know, and what motivates them. And, um, but, you know, under the radar, you know, he's not flying under the Cubs' radar, I'll tell you that. They know what he's doing. You know, and the fans the fans might be a little whacked out, but or some of them, not all of them. You know, it's always just a handful. And as far as we know, Chris is still using the axe bat. Do you think that's best for him? He's bouncing back and forth. He's been back back and forth between Chandler and Victus and the axe. He's... You know, he's like he's he's like any hitter. You know, what feels lightest in your hand that day, he's gonna go up there with, or he, maybe he had a good BP with one. And you know, it's all feel. It's all what you feel that particular day. And the last question I'll ask you is, what do you expect for Chris or from Chris for the rest of the season? Um, I would expect and hope for, okay, that he doesn't go out there and beat himself up on a daily basis. You know, where, you know, at the end of the day, if he's two for five with a single and a ribby, you know, with two singles and a ribby, that he's that he's okay with that and he's satisfied with it, you know, and that he balance, that he has that that emotional balance, that mental balance that you need to be able to go out there day in and day out and grind out, you know, the game because the game, you know, it's not an easy game to play. I mean, the pitchers are always, 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 always going to be ahead of the hitters. They're better than the hitters. They get them out seven to eight to nine out of ten times, okay, on an average. they It's the way the game is. And, you know, those you, you, you hope for them. What I hope for, you know, is that, you know, that he has those moments and days where, 
you know, he helps the team win and that he goes home and he relaxes at night and he, and he sleeps at night and he's peace. He's at peace with himself so that you're not constantly, you know, you know, he doesn't play the game angry. He's always been a calm guy, you know, so that it, that it doesn't eat at him inside, you know, and that the team wins and, and that they get to compete in the, in the postseason just to have the opportunity and, and, and just and then just block out all I kind of expect him to block out all the distractions you know he's the one swinging the bat he's the one catching and throwing the ball nobody else is doing that for him okay there's nothing that they can say or do that will influence his performance on the field only he can so I expect him to realize that and you know I'm there to support him and help him along and help him up like Madden is like his teammates are like his coaches are they always they have they all have the best interests of the player in mind. And that's a tremendous support structure. And that's a, you know, that, that's an attention reducer. So that's what I expect out of him in a second. I have to play the game without any anxiety, without any tension, no worry. You know, he's, he's earned his spot and he's earned his place in the game, wherever that may be. Hopefully, you know, and everybody, he wants to stay in Chicago. He doesn't want $900 million, okay? That's not how he thinks. He doesn't need to beat Bryce Harper's contract or Mike Trout's contract. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens is whatever happens there. His money is not focused. That's not the focus. He, he doesn't make decisions based on money. He learned that from Moneyball. Remember Billy Bean? Yep. He just, you know, he says, last time I made a decision based on money, I regretted it for the rest of my life. And so will anybody. That's, that's, that's part of the advice from a 60-year-old, um, I want to say has been, but I'm not, and I'm not and never was, so I was somebody at one point. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and um, I've been paying attention to some of the stuff you've been saying throughout here, and we'll set the mark for Chris by the end of the season right around 300 about 30 to 35 home runs, and somewhere around 80 RBIs from the two spot. That's a pretty good season. Damn good season. I wish he was running more. I wish uh, Madden would steal him a little bit more, but I guess he wants to. He doesn't want to bang him up too much. He's kind of sore from sliding around all over the place in Cincinnati. His knees hurt. You know, He's just getting banged up a little bit. So I think this all-star thing is going to be a nice little rest for him, a nice little respite. And uh, he'll be able to enjoy the festivities. There'll be light workouts. He'll get his, what, two or three innings and then a bat. And, and, um, and, you know, just have fun and just being around the best in the game, knowing that he's one of the best in the game. So I think that's going to be a, a nice little tension reducer right there. Yeah, and a bit of a statement season for Chris Bryant. He has earned an all-star appearance. You can watch the Cubs in action the next couple of days in Pittsburgh, and then they'll go – to the south side of Chicago for two more before the All-Star break in Cleveland. And for Chris and the Cubs, good things happened the last time they were in Cleveland, right? I get that picture on my in the, on the wall in my batting cage. Forever ensconced in history that the Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years, with 108 stitches on the baseball, by the way. And my son was involved in the last out. That is and probably you predicted the, it. Yes, I did, and uh, that right there—that's forever. 
forever. No one's going to ever be able to take that away. So, uh, yeah, that's he's going back to Cleveland, and that's going to be fun. He also hit a home run there against uh, David Murphy, the position player. Remember, it was a grand slam? Yep. Yeah, it was the 17th run of the game by number 17. on the, And, and uh, it was on June 17th, and there was one other 17 mixed in there. Um, it was a 17th home run, I think. <laughs> so that was pretty crazy. Those 17s lined up pretty good. Yeah, definitely, and you'll see number 17 in the All-Star Game in Cleveland next week. But for now, that's all the time we have here today on the Cubs Corner Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks for listening. And we hope you all enjoy this episode. If you want to find this episode or previous episodes, you can look for them on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner. Have a good day, and let's hope the Cubs get a win tonight in Pittsburgh.